Hello, welcome to Gunfighter Cast, episode number 117. I'm here with a, a good friend of mine, mentor, walking encyclopedia, Masad Ayub. How you doing, Mass? Hey, doing good, young brother. Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Ah, same to you. Thanks for taking the time out of your day and coming on the show and talking about safety with me. And we're going to get right into that here in just a second. This episode of Gunfighter Cast is brought to you by Bravo Concealment Holsters. Use our coupon code GUNFIGHTER at checkout when you visit bravoconcealment.com and get 10% off your entire purchase. Matt, so we're, we're going to jump right into it. You've been on Gunfighter Cast before. You know how we do it. We just jump right in. I got, a, I got one question I want to answer or ask you really quick. There's been some things, some discussion on safety all over the internet here recently. There's just some, some things that have came up and spurred some conversations. And uh, I did a show recently on it with Chris Henderson on uh, GC116. Um, talked a little bit earlier about that with a couple other people in the industry about things that we're seeing in videos uh, from content creators and unsafe instructors. Things that people are just trying to go out there and, and do something that sets them apart in a way that, wow, they're doing really extreme stuff in that class. I need to sign up for that today. And, and it's kind of scary. People are getting hurt. And uh, I want that to stop, basically just to educate the public. So in this conversation that have happened, I keep seeing popped up what four safety rules were broken. And the idea they're presenting is it's not unsafe unless there's a direct break in one of the four firearm safety rules. And I'm not even sure exactly which four safety rules they're going with. So I know you could probably roll for two hours right now on that. So I'll just say go. Well, basically, the four rules uh, came from Colonel Jeff Cooper, and it's amazing how quickly people forgot to give him credit for that. It was basically, number one, every gun is loaded. And most of us take that to mean, even if you know it's unloaded, treat it as if it was as if it had a live round. Uh, I've always said, treat it like a Star Wars lightsaber. Anything the muscle crosses might be cut in half. Even if you know it's empty, do you want to habituate yourself to pointing loaded guns at your friends, your students, your colleagues, your peers, anybody that doesn't need a loaded gun pointed at them? Um, second, uh, never allow it to point at anything you're not prepared to destroy. Uh, I kind of modify that to listen class. I just mentioned this morning, I don't know you yet, so... Until I do, don't point the damn thing at anything I'm not prepared to see destroyed, and we're going to get a long fire. The third rule, never let the finger into the trigger guard uh, until you're on target and ready to shoot. And for my needs and my students, I've had to modify that, uh, particularly in law enforcement. Our officers take people at gunpoint all the time. Um, Certainly, you don't want the finger on the trigger in a gunpoint situation as opposed to, I need to shoot this bad guy right now situation. I do have to quarrel a little bit and more than semantically with the the whole on-target, on-trigger, off-target, off-trigger thing. Uh, Don't point the gun at anything until you're ready to destroy it. If you carry a gun, you've got to get up when you put that thing on in the morning and realize if I have to, I'm ready to use this thing. So I modify that to the finger will not enter the trigger guard unless and until you are in the very act of intentionally firing the weapon. When you've fired what you believe is going to be a last shot, get your finger completely out of that trigger guard. And the final of Cooper's four rules, be absolutely certain of your target and your backstop. Know where the bullet's going to go. Know know what's behind the backstop. Know what the backstop can contain. 
lot of us today, including uh, uh, Steve Wenger, for example, had a fifth rule, we are responsible for securing that lethal weapon. We don't leave it laying around where unauthorized hands, little kids, burglars, etc., can gain control of it. So, in essence, those are the four, argue, on the range at least, uh, the four rules. And really, the, the Rule 5 even applies to the range. I was at a major match many years ago that will remain nameless. And a little toddler was found wandering around with a fully loaded, large-caliber handgun. Uh, one of the fellows had left it loaded inside his motorhome and figures, well, heck, we're all shooter folk here. Nobody will steal from me, so I can leave my motorhome unlocked. And this little toddler uh, had wandered away from the babysitter, climbs up into the motorhome, and starts wandering around with a loaded gun. And thank God nobody got hurt. Yeah, that's pretty scary. So uh, in those safety rules, do you believe that we have to directly break one of those safety rules for a situation to be unsafe? Or are there conditions that, that can be on a range that, that set up the probability for one of those safety rules to be broken imminently, or they're just unsafe acts? I mean, we could go into detail about not everything that we do on a range involves a firearm. You know, there, there's things that are unsafe that the rules don't really apply to uh, because of things in, in the area. There, if we're doing a vehicle class, there's glass. There's other safety things that, that, that come into play outside of the firearm when we're training on a range in many different situations. So in my personal opinion, I don't have to directly break a safety rule for some for a situation to be unsafe. If I create a condition that it is unsafe and you know there's going to the range, driving to the range there's risk involved, shooting on the range there's risk involved. But I'm accepting a small amount of risk and I'm doing everything I can to mitigate that risk the best I can to control that, to keep something from happening. But there are some things that I just won't do because there's a better way to do it, there's a safer way to do it and I'm not actually getting any direct gain by being that level of unsafe. So I go with an alternative that accomplishes the same thing but in a safer manner. Yeah, basically the the, the safety elements uh, aren't limited to us. Uh, something else can occur uh, that's outside of our control. Uh, the lost motorist who drove up the dirt road looking for directions and suddenly drives onto the range between the targets and the shooters. Um, should somebody say, gosh, there should have been barbed wire at the end of the range to keep that from happening? Well, maybe, maybe not. But we always have to constantly be vigilant. Uh, one rule certainly should be in an organized shooting environment. When you hear cease fire, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Um, the, the fastest way to get yourself declared persona non grata on a professional shooting range is to be the idiot we've all ran into that when the range officer calls out cease fire, he's got to hose out the rest of the magazine from his AK. And we've got to remember probably something like 999 times out of 1,000, ceasefire simply means you ran out of your allotted time frame to shoot. But once in a 1,000 or maybe more, ceasefire could mean that that range officer who's usually behind you and has a wider vantage point saw something you could not see from your position. Some kid on a dirt bike just came over the back of the berm. And it's, it's imperative for people to have that kind of discipline. But yeah. in essence, safety can it, it can be anything from the na a natural disaster. Uh, in the old days, we'd say, "Ah, oh, heck, uh, we hear the thunder, but we'll wait to see the lightning till we stop." And we know now everything we've learned from safety experts and meteorologists know when you hear the thunder, 
stop shooting and get the people off the field. Uh, I've seen guys say, yeah, by golly, my, my instructor's so tough, he had to shoot during the thunderstorm and the lightning storm. I'm like, let me get this straight. Uh, your, your instructor so cared about making you safe. He put you out in an open field, holding a steel rod, saluting the thunder gods while there was lightning. So we know it, it upsets some students, but when we hear thunder, we simply pull them inside, restructure the program, give them some classroom lecture. And if they have to stay late to get their trigger time in, they will. But nobody is going to get killed by lightning on my ranch, knowing what we now know. Yeah, but none of the four firearm safety rules are broken, so it's fine, right? <laughs> well, again, we have to get out of the box. We have to look at it holistically. Uh, we have to look at some of the safety factors are going to come in with the students. Uh, you've been to my classes, and you know that one of the things we go over is, look, if you have any sort of medical condition that could lead to, to dizziness, a seizure, fainting, anything like that, you don't have to announce it to the class, let me or one of the staff know. Okay, if you've got a heart problem and might need some digitalis, we're going to need to know where it is. Uh, if uh, if you've got a diabetic situation going on, we need to have some orange juice handy and a candy bar or whatever it is that you might need. And mainly, we need to know it. And we need to remind our students, look, uh, admitting to us that you've got this problem doesn't mean you're a weakling. It means you're smart. Uh, if you feel the slightest hint of dizziness, etc., holster up. If that torn out shoulder that you think is healed up enough starts to give way, stop right there, uh, get the gun back in the holster, uh, raise a free hand, and one of us will come to you. Reasonable. And and has nothing to do with safety rules. So there's there's a lot of other things. As an instructor, if people are trusting me, they're spending their hard-earned dollars, their money, their time to come learn something from me. And and a lot of them, one of the things we've engaged in some recent episodes in Gunfighter Cast is the idea that there's a lot of students out there who doesn't they don't know what is safe and what is unsafe. They don't know the vernacular, the language that we use all the time. They don't know the the terms. They don't know the rules. They don't. They're they're looking at us to to protect them and do the right thing on the range. And and I see cases regularly, and I've, I've gotten a few messages recently. Hey, my instructor did this. Is this normal? Is this okay? And, and in some cases, yes, the, that is totally fine because this is what was going on there, and this is why it makes sense. And in other cases, it's that is totally wrong. That shouldn't happen. That was irresponsible. Uh, that was unsafe, and there's there's no reason for that to happen in the class. But a lot of these new students, they don't know that. There's so many new gun owners in our country right now, and there's so many people who need training, and, and they don't know what is safe and what is not. Uh, it is my responsibility and your responsibility as an instructor to protect them and teach them, and 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 if they, if they if they get nothing else from me, and I, I got stole this from you years ago, if they get nothing else from me, they they bought that gun to protect the people that they love, and they're going to carry that gun, they're going to clean that gun, they're going to load that gun, they're going to unload that gun around the people that they bought that gun to protect. So if anything, I want them to understand what it is to have proper safe handling of firearms and, and range activities when they take somebody to the range. And if I'm doing something counter to that, I, I'm hurting a lot more than just me. That's absolutely true. None of us know which of our students is going to be in a gunfight or if they're going to be in a gunfight. We do know they're going to spend their lives handling their guns, those guns around their loved ones. Sometimes when they're exhausted or, or otherwise not in an optimal state to be doing it. Sometimes in the dark when you came home late, don't want to wake up your spouse, but you know, the, the gun needs to be put away somewhere. 
And we've got to just have safety net after safety net after safety net in place. We, we have to look at ourselves like engineers. Unfortunately, there has always been a little bit of pismo attached to the gun. And it's, you know, some folks can think, well, the more dangerous it is, the more exciting it is. And having participated in it, therefore, the cooler I am. And we've got to realize you, at the beginning of the podcast, you were mentioning, you know, extreme things like extreme sports. Um, when I see sports and extreme in the same sentence, I take extreme to be a synonym for dangerous. Think about it. Extreme rock climbing, okay, uh, the more dangerous it is, the more extreme it is. And therefore, the more care has to be taken with it. First, is there a need to do it at all? If there is a need, okay, we can see this is something we might be needing down the road. Uh, normally, to lay on your back and uh, draw a gun uh, toward a target that's basically on the other side of your feet uh, is dangerous because you can't possibly do it without crossing the lower body. But if you take the time to do it, to teach the draw and the presentation with triple-checked unloaded guns or dummy guns, we then, uh, for the live fire, have them, okay, sit up, gun as an and, load, decock or safety on, finger straight on the frame, roll back into the position. Now they get their shooting reps. They learn they can draw the gun. They learn they can index the gun on target, which is something they've learned to do in the natural flow of pulling the trigger, and they've learned that they can hit from there. And when we've done it that way, a loaded gun has never crossed their lower body. Uh, it may not look as macho to the guy watching it on YouTube, but frankly, the guy on YouTube, I don't care about. I care about that student who trusted us to keep him or her safe while they learn how to protect themselves in a worst-case scenario. They still come out learning how to do it, and basically it's a whole lot safer than being down on your back and needing to return fire and not knowing how to get your gun out of a holster behind your hip when you're supplying and get it on target. But by adding a little bit of time to the training process, we've done it all safely. How am I going to phrase this and not sound crazy? I ha I'm looking at a range to use locally for a carbine class, and I've never met him before, and the range looks really nice. He said he's going to have one of his RSOs with me, and I was like, look, if you, I, I, I don't mind the RSO to help. You know, by all means, that would be awesome. One more set of safety eyes, that's great. But if this is a guy that's like only done NRA range safety officer and it's by the book service rifle match type stuff, they're going to have an aneurysm on my carbine class. You know, it's just, they're, they're going to see some things that I have control measures in place. It's, it's safe. We're, we are doing things with, with safety being paramount in everything that we do. We're training for a fight. Uh, after we, we've really developed these fundamentals and we're ready to do that. It's very, it, it, it starts progressing, uh, pretty heavily. And, and I make sure the students are ready for that and we don't go beyond that and we don't create unsafe situations, but there are some safety officers that I've met across the country that would lose their mind seeing some of the things that we're doing. And it's not because they're unsafe. It's because it's not just laying on your stomach, uh, shooting five rounds at a time when you've got like a, a straight edge to make sure every muzzle is perfectly aligned to each other. You know, I, I don't get into it that far. So it's, there's, there's different levels here and, and there's, I don't want to use the term too safe, but you know, we're, we're, there's a balance that we have to find. We want to conduct training for a deadly force encounter, and we want to do that in the safest way possible. Yeah, to totally agree. There's, there is no safe way to do something inherently dangerous. What we have to do is mitigate risk to the maximum degree that is possible. Uh, we're dealing, let's face it, with lethal weapons. Uh, you or I, when, when I do a full week's course, 
there's going to be about 20,000 rounds going down range, uh, more than enough ammunition to wipe out a small city. Nobody seems to get shot. Why is that? Because we're careful, the students are careful, and mainly we rigidly enforce it. It's it's kind of like, uh, you know, Chicago gangbangers. It's not enough to have the laws. It, there's got to be punishment for infractions. Um, and basically what we do, one safety violation, you're off the range for the day. You may observe, but no longer participate with a gun in your hand. You'll be back the second day on probation, second violation, you're out of the class. Uh, it may be the violation is not your fault. Maybe you've got some kind of a brain injury or you're a really slow learner. And I'm sorry for that, but I can't jeopardize the lives of 20 other people to accommodate that. Much more often, it's because the person's got their head so far up the ass of their own ego that they just don't give a crap about anybody around them, and those people get removed from the firing line. And you've seen me take people off the line. I don't enjoy doing it. They're paying customers. I have to do it because of my duty to the others who do follow the rules and are there to learn not to show up. Master, the reason I, I asked you to come on the show and talk about this with me, and I had another episode planned for the last episode of, of 2016, but you know, I kept seeing this pop up all over the internet today, and that's why I sent you a message. You've you've been in this game longer than I've been alive, right? I think you were you were published before uh, I was born, right? But I, and I, I go to you for some advice. I have, I have quite a few people that I, I go to for advice when I'm looking at things, and, and you're definitely one of them. You know, you've seen the trends, you've seen the things, the ebb and flow, you've seen all that kind of come and go in this industry for many years now. So that that's why I wanted to come on and get you to come on and, and give your your opinion of of. Uh, you know, safety. So this is probably the most important question, and I'm, I'm going to give you kind of two parts to it. What advice would you give instructors to to better protect their students? You know, we're talking like philosophy, like mindset. And and what would you advice would you give a student to look for in their instructor? Well, I'd, if I was going to the class, I'd want to know beforehand how long is the safety briefing. Uh, if the safety briefing is going to be uh, two minutes and it's going to be, don't be an idiot, don't shoot yourself, get on out there, you know what you're doing. Uh, I'm probably not going to be there at an entry-level class unless I know this is a truly vetted program, like third or fourth level. Everybody there has had the minimum of 100 hours professional training with that instructor or some other instructor that I trust and respect. Um, at an entry-level class to see somebody who just got their first gun and now we're going to have them shoot while they're running, shoot while they're rolling around on the ground like something out of a Die Hard movie. Uh, thanks. Uh, let me know how it went. Send me a postcard. I'm not going to be there. I want to know how many uh, instructors they're going to have. I, I hear stories of classes with 20 people shooting at once. There's one instructor on the line. Uh, that's simply not enough eyes to watch for safety. I want to know, do they have a, uh, a medical plan in place if anyone gets hurt? So basically, do, do your homework beforehand. Today, in the time of the Internet, any instructor out there, there's going to be people who've done AARs, after-action reports. Do a Google search, see what other, other students, attendees, and graduates have to say, not just the individual guys advertising. Uh, if his advertising has quotes like, the best training I ever had, signed two initials, or signed super SWAT guy, and it's not an actual name on it that can be verified, uh, one little red flag kind of goes up there. 
find out what is the instructor's background, get get their resume. Every instructor should give you a resume, the, the CV, the curriculum vitae. And once you get it, it, you know everybody calls the resume a brag sheet. Uh, use the resume for what it's for. Check it out and see if the guy is who he says he is. See if the guy has been where he says he's been. Uh, there are an amazing number of people out there for whom that is not the case. You're, you're taking a week out of your life, and you're literally putting your life in the hands of this person and the people that he supervises. You need to know not only is he good, but does he have the physical capability at that range of uh, getting enough eyes and hands on the firing line to keep it safe for everyone. Uh, I've seen cases where a third party contracted with uh, one of the top names to bring them in, and they get there, and there's absolutely no range support staff. So you've got an instructor who might be one of the best in the world, but two eyes and two hands cannot control a, a firing line that's you know 20 yards wide uh, with 20 different shooters on it. It's physically impossible to catch a bad situation in time. So when you say catch a bad situation in time? To see the, the, guy, the guy who is constantly putting his finger on the trigger prematurely or actually more common, leaving the finger on the trigger when he's done shooting. Uh, the guy who turns the gun to the side to work the slide. Uh, the guy who decides he's going to do his 360-degree scan with a loaded gun. And there are some folks who are teaching that safely and some folks who aren't. There are some folks who do it correctly and some folks who don't. And those things all have to be sorted out beforehand. And you could have a range crew who's watching for that. And within a few steps where if they see trouble brewing, they can get right in there and keep it from happening. So that sounds to me like an example of my first question. I am going to try my best to stop any range safety infraction before one of the rules have been broken. You know, they, it, like it doesn't. I can't go back and say, "Well, you did, I didn't break any rules because I I stopped him before he did it." So now I I can't you know penalize him for for breaking a rule. But that rule was that it, it, the condition was there, and the act was happening or imminently going to happen because of a situation that was created uh, where a rule was going to be broken. But maybe it never was because it got stopped. It doesn't mean it wasn't an unsafe act and it wasn't about to happen. It's still an unsafe act and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, the, uh, oh, let's say the guy who, in, uh, as you know, our classes, we begin with tri-fire diagnostics, uh, a simple draw to the stance uh, with a triple-checked unloaded gun just so we can see where the given student is for for technique, for stance, for grasp, uh, for general familiarity and comfort level with the gun. And if I see a finger going to a trigger prematurely, I'm not going to take the person off the line. But I or one of the staff will remediate them for that. Uh, once the shooting is underway, uh, a finger prematurely on the trigger, if the gun is downrange at the backstop with nothing intervening, I won't kick them off the line, but they'll be spoken to firmly and firmly corrected. Uh, somebody turns sideways and crosses another student once, even if the gun is unloaded at slide lock, they were off the line for the day. Did I leave anything out that, that you wanted to, to get across? I mean, you've, you've got 10 million people on the Internet listening to you right now. I, I wish. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Basically, take, take, take it serious. Uh, one of the reasons we have uh, what turns into nearly a two-hour safety briefing at the beginning of every class is there is so darn much to cover. Uh, 
hot grass down the back of the neck or down the front of the shirt. What are we going to do about it? Well, here's how I want you to handle it. And here also is how you can prevent it. Be thinking about a button front shirt with a collar, turn the collar up and button the top button. And the grass down the shirt is virtually going to cease. Uh, don't be showing up there with your uh, your wife beater t-shirt. And, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of girls showing up with scoop neck. And uh, you know where the hot brass is going to go. Like and they have to know, look, be, yeah, and be expecting this. And it's going to burn. But here's the deal. You don't do a St. Vitus dance and jump off the line screaming and start spinning in circles with your finger on the trigger. You keep the damn gun on target. Keep shooting. Yes, there'll be an ugly little burn mark. It'll go away in a few months. But uh, think of it as your red badge of courage. But be prepared for that to happen. And when it happens, here's how, how we want you to handle it. I think if I applied the same logic that I'm seeing all over the Internet right now, people would recommend, woman, that's the kind of shirt you wear with your cleavage hanging out every day of your life? That's the way you should come to class so you can experience hot brass. <laughs> That's the logic that I'm running into on the internet right now. It's just... Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not going to tell them come to the ranch and wear a burka to keep that from happening, okay? Uh, I am going to tell them, here's the deal. Uh, on the street, you're not going to be firing uh, you know, hundreds of rounds at a time. Here you are. And you're greatly multiplying the likelihood of these things happening. Uh, you may not like to wear a brimmed cap. It may not fit your lifestyle or your hairstyle. And you may not wear one to work or on the way to work, and that's fine. Here on this range, we're responsible for you and the safety of everyone around you. And if you don't have some type of a hat brim, and that hot grass and the next guy's pistol gets caught between your eyeglass lens and your eyeball, your body is going to reflexively react before you can stop it. There's going to be a you're going to turn away from the pain, which means you'll go to one side or the other. The gun will track with you because where the head goes, the body follows, and the finger it very likely has not gotten off the trigger yet, and you know where that's going to go. And this is not about your fashion. This is about you being safe for everyone around you. And if your fashion sense uh, is more important to you than the safety of everyone else. I'm really glad we all found that out now. Here's your money back. Have a nice day. Mass, what do you got going on in 2017? Whoa, same stuff. Different year. Uh, we're doing classes all over the country. Uh, the classroom only MAG-20s on uh, Deadly Force. Uh, the classroom and shooting MAG-40s. Uh, the more advanced classes, uh, the MAG-80s with the handgun and long gun shooting while you're moving, shooting from disadvantaged positions, drawing, firing, reloading, and jam clearing, one hand only with either hand, that sort of thing. Uh, longer ranges and everything going faster. And we have, a, uh, for the first time ever, a benefit class. Uh, I think you probably know the Reichert family in uh, Rochester, Indiana, that run the Sandsburg Gun Ranch. Uh, great little classic gun shop, uh, wonderful shooting park that hosts a lot of classes and a lot of events. And uh, Denny Reichert there is uh, probably the preeminent uh, uh, gunsmith for tuning Smith & Wesson revolvers for the street right now. And they uh, recently suffered a very sophisticated burglary that took about 50, 40 or 50 high-end guns out of the shop. And that was a terrible financial hit for them. So we're doing a benefit class in February. Um, and all the benefits of that, including my teaching fees, are going to go to Sandburg Gun Ranch. And uh, information on that, they can go to Sandburg 
S-A-N-D-D-U-R-R, gunranch.com to sign up. Uh, February is kind of cold in the Midwest there, but that's okay because it'll all be a nice, warm, snug uh, gun club and all lecture format. And uh, they can also find it on my website, massadaugroup.com. All right, sounds good. Um, wh- who are you writing for now? I do the monthly handguns column for a guns magazine that I've done for 30-some years and the cop talk column that I've done for 30-some years uh, in every issue of American Handgunner. Uh, each handgunner has uh, a segment of AU files. Uh, it's We look at either a historic gunfight or, more often, a fairly recent gunfight where we got to debrief the survivors and hear where the lessons learned. Uh, Combat Handguns Magazine is back now under Athlon Publications, and mm-hmm. I'm still doing the self-defense and the law column for them for every issue. And I do the first responder column for every issue of Guns and Weapons for Law Enforcement. I'm also the gun editor for Backwoods Home Magazine, and your listeners are welcome to go there and participate in my blog. Uh, if they go to backwoodshome.com, and click on the blog, then click on my name. That'll come to it. They're, they're all welcome to participate. Mass, thanks for coming on the show and, and taking the time out of your day. Uh, I really appreciate it. Oh, thank it. you, brother. Oh, and I should have mentioned also, uh, we've recently gotten back into the Pro Arms podcast. Have you? Uh, produced and edited by Gail Pepper. And we've got some interesting stuff there. Tests on the newest uh, of the Ruger pistols that we just announced. We got in a couple of months ahead of time and shot the heck out of some of those. And we'll have more coming up in that vein. And that's at ProArmsPodcast.com. You know, you just gave me an idea for one more question. This is what the episode was sure. go- was going to be about with a couple other people. And, and that one's probably still going to happen. It'll just happen at the beginning of the year. But in 2016, we had some pretty innovative products come out from my perspective. Some cool stuff in the AR world. Not really rifles themselves, but more products that go with them and there was there was some evolution there uh and there were some other cool products in the handgun world and suppressor world what give me give me one thing that you thought was the greatest thing in 2016 that you ran into uh, well i'm a big fan of the 511 tactical yoga pants so long as the right person is wearing them i will second that my wife has four pair of those i love them yeah and I've seen your wife. She's going to look good on them and do justice to the product. Watch it, buddy. Hey, no, seriously, the most – give me something good. Give, give me something. Uh, in essence, uh, some of the best stuff I saw, uh, it seems like a small thing, but Springfield brought out their little EMP 9mm with a 4-inch barrel uh, and uh, one more round of cartridge capacity. I'll bring it up to 10 plus 1. Still a very compact gun, super slim to carry inside the waistband, uh, virtually recoilless. And because uh, Dave Williams, when he designed that EMP for Springfield, literally scaled down the whole 1911 for the Schroeder 9mm cartridge. So it's one 9mm 1911 that you know is going to actually work out of the box. And I found that a particularly handy, graceful gun. And if I hadn't already had a regular EMP, I probably would have bought the current thing for myself for daily carry. Uh, Smith & Wesson Shield 45. I was very, very impressed with. Amazing accuracy for a gun that size. Uh, very soft recoil for the weight and the power level. And uh, I, I actually like it better than the full-size M&P 45. 
so we've we've got good guns. We've got the, probably the best guns that we've ever had. Uh, it's still really about the software to to get the best out of the hardware, whatever your hardware choice might be. I agree one hundred percent. I tell people all the time. I don't even have many guns. I'm not a big gun guy. I I I like the software. I like training that and learning and, and everything else, and it's awesome. I was at a Smith and Wesson event event a couple of weeks ago in Springfield, and they have some pretty good stuff coming out here really soon. That they're already releasing a couple of them, but uh, the rest of it will be out here early January that uh, people will take yeah. a look at. I'm looking forward to seeing the M and P 2.0. Apparently, you're not under the same non-disclosure agreement that I am. Uh, I am not. <laughs> but also, they haven't let me shoot it yet, which is why I'm not under the same non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> so, folks, when, when the time comes and they lift the NDA, which will probably be shot so early, tune into Daniel before you tune into me because you'll have the scoop ahead of the, uh, the Gen 2 M&Ps. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, again, Vass, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And whenever you have anything that you want to talk about in the future, you have a permanent invite to the show. I am happy to hear that Pro Arms is back. I will be adding that and downloading it. I didn't know they were back, so I will be checking that. And all you guys out there listening, uh, download the Pro Arms podcast and give it a listen. They usually have a wealth of knowledge on there. A lot of guys that come on that have been in in multiple gunfights uh, have used their guns in self-defense and they interview them there's tons of old content up there that's that's completely relevant today from some kind of legacy episodes from years ago and i'm sure the new stuff is going to be great so go check out that it's proarms.com right mass uh proarmspodcast.com proarmspodcast.com and guys if you're if you're listening to gunfighter cast probably heard my last episode i have quit my job I'm traveling, teaching, doing video, podcasting full-time. You're getting eight episodes every single month in 2017 to allow me to be able to do that. You're going to get a couple of little advertisements in each episode, and I really appreciate your guys' help on the Patreon website. And if you want to help assist me to keep bringing this content to you, it's going to come for free if you do or don't. It doesn't really matter. But a lot of folks are pledging a dollar, $2, $5 per episode to GunfighterCast through Patreon.com. The link of that will be in the show notes. And I really appreciate your guys' help and support and helping me live this dream and present real, relevant knowledge and information to those of you out there that matter the most to me. Mass, thanks. You know how it goes when we end the show. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate all you're doing for all of us out there. Gunfighter cast out, you know, brother.